I wasn't on. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, the kids can take off. My mic is nice and loud. Sixth grade and younger kids uh, released to go uh, meet your, your teachers uh, over near the, the doors over here to this side. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit more detailed instruction than kids are done. Um, well, here we are at the end of summer. I hate to break it to you, but it's the end of summer. Uh, fall is right around the corner. Uh, we just had Labor Day weekend. There's some exciting things that are going on. I mean, the summer was jam-packed with stuff, and we just heard in, the, in SEC Life here that we have, we have a, a booth at Solano Stroll. We have Count Me In coming up. We've had, this summer, we had, we had a couple dozen new members. We had five people baptized. We had all kinds of exciting events happening. This fall, we have, we have, even, uh, we have an even more incredible stuff going on. We have three new home groups starting this month. It's, it's an exciting time of ministry here at Solano Community Church. And in the next few weeks, as we move forward, we're going to be having our Vision Sunday, which is just a great time to celebrate what God is doing. And we're going to be looking forward to the plans for the next year or two. But in the midst of this time, this exciting time of ministry and transition, I want to take a moment to read a passage out of Mark chapter 10. If you want to open up your Bibles... Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, you can raise your hand. We have Bibles in the back we can pass out to you. We're looking at a passage quickly from Mark chapter 10. We're kind of picking it up in the middle of a story here. We're in the middle of an opportunity, of, of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And in this story, two of Jesus' disciples, actually, it's a little more embarrassing than that, the mother of two of Jesus' disciples comes to talk to Jesus about something. She wants to know if her sons can be kind of Jesus' right-hand guys. And this is after the question is posed about who's going to be the greatest disciples of Jesus. Jesus responds, verse 42, Mark chapter 10. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who, considered, who are considered rulers of the Gentile, Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me re- reiterate. The great among you must be the servant. The first must be the slave of all. What kind of logic is that? I mean, this doesn't make sense. The first is going to be the servant. The greatest is going to be the slave. I mean, this is, this is the foundation. This is the foundational idea we're going to be talking about this morning. The, the, the logic of the gospel is this upside-down view of what it means to be great. Now, as we dive into this, I want to make sure that we, we keep ourselves rooted in uh, the, this theme throughout Scripture. And what we're going to be doing this morning is kind of exciting. We're going to be doing a little bit of biblical theology, which means we're going to look at a couple different passages throughout Scripture, and we're going to find out how this theme of servanthood, this theme of being a servant of all, develops from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And it's a really, it's a, really uh, a, a powerful way for us to tie some of the larger themes of Scripture together. On a regular basis, we get opportunities to dive deep into a few verses of text this is an opportunity for us to see the big picture. 
So what I want to offer you is that the Bible gives us a pattern for the servant of the Lord. Isaiah, the prophet, sets up the pattern. Jesus perfects the pattern, and we live out the pattern of the servant of the Lord. So Isaiah sets up the pattern, Jesus perfects it, and we live out the pattern. So let's, let's just dive straight in. We want to talk about the prophet Isaiah at this point. So you want to flip to the left in your Bible, back deep into the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. It's, uh, uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 42 to start off with, but I want to give you a little background while you're flipping there because uh, we are jumping straight into the middle of a new text. We're jumping straight into the middle of a new book. So the prophet Isaiah lived and had his ministry around 740 B.C., so we're talking a long time ago. And this is in the midst of a time period, uh, just to give you the, the overall picture, God's people were brought out of Egypt around, depending on your view of it, the 1400 or 1200 B.C., then David and Solomon are around 1000 B.C., and then you've got a succession of kings that actually split the nation of Israel, God's people, into two kingdoms, the northern and southern kingdom. And that brings us a number of generations down to about the 740 range. So Isaiah is writing in the midst of crisis. And this is kind of the background, the foundation of what we're going to learn from Isaiah. There's three different crises in the book of Isaiah. There's the threat of invasion is this major theme that we see throughout the book. Because what's happening at this time is the, 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 the nation of Israel, God's people, have been repeatedly disobedient. They've just turned away from God. So God's patience is running out. And there's these threats of an invading... I mean, God promised that his people would be established in the promised land. And yet, generations later, they're at the brink of losing that because of their disobedience and turning from God. So there's the crisis of an invasion. And the invasion that is most immediate to the text that we're going to be looking at is the invasion of the nation of Assyria. This nation this massive nation to the north that's going to be coming down and is threatening to invade. So in the midst of this, Isaiah is trying to answer this question. Who will save God's people? And the answer is the servant. Let's look at our text. So again, we're in Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to read starting in verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. 
Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell them to you. Let's let's pause there for a moment. In our text, we're starting to see the picture of the servant. And I want to highlight a few of the the kind of characteristics of the servant. We see that in the first couple verses of our text here, the servant is chosen. Behold, my servant whom I behold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I'll put my spirit on him, so the spirit fills the servant. He brings forth justice to the nations. So the servant embodies justice and righteousness. But in verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. It's interesting to see this picture of the servant already starting to come. And in the midst of crisis, remember where we are, we have an invading nation right at the doorstep. And God says through Isaiah, the servant will deliver. The servant will bring justice. The servant is spirit-filled. The servant is my chosen one. But the servant is gentle. The servant will not break a bruised reed. I mean, we're imagining like a plant that's already been like damaged or soaked in water or something of that sort. I mean, it's extremely fragile. It's like saying, uh, I mean, imagine, imagine the plant. I mean, if you've seen, like, a, 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 have you ever walked on like, fro- I, I'm, I lived in the Midwest for a few years, and when the ground freezes and you have like these frozen blades of grass and you step on them, it's this like, kind of gross crunching sound, and you can literally look down and the blades of grass will be snapped in half. I mean, it's that fragile, like you can just barely touch them and they just break. So the servant, you would think the servant in the midst of crisis, in the midst of an invading nation, would be this powerful warrior. But the servant is gentle. The servant will not snuff out a faintly burning wick. It's an interesting an interesting point. Now, we need to talk about what the idea of a servant is because we've already started talking about it. We've already dived right in. But a servant in this text is like a secretary of state, if you will. We sometimes think of servant in a kind of a modern context, but a servant is someone who's an emissary. It's a representative of the king. So you have authority. You have a message to bring. This servant in our text in, verse, or in chapter 42 of Isaiah has a message to bring. It's salvation from God in the midst of this crisis. See, we even see in in our text here that the servant is a light to the Gentiles. It's a light to the nations. It's got a message to bring of hope. Now, this gives us the first big picture of who the servant is in the midst of this, of this crisis. Now, I want to move on to the end of this chapter because as we see this theme developing and this big picture of who the servant is moving forward in the biblical text, there's a contrast because we see the goodness and the righteousness of this servant in the beginning of chapter 42. But if you skip down to verse 18, we see a very different picture of a servant. Listen to this contrast. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? 
Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. What a contrast. What a contrast. We even see the tense changing and a new picture of a servant starting to emerge. There's a contrast here. Look at, the, look at verse 22 of our text that we just read there. But this is a people plundered and looted. I thought we were talking about a person. I thought we were talking about an individual, servant. It seems to be what the text was saying. But now, this part, in contrast, is saying that this group of people, God's people, are a deaf and blind servant. This is the crisis. That God's people are lost. And yet, in the midst of it, we see, as we saw in the beginning of this text, that there is a servant as the hope. An individual who can redeem. You might already see where I'm going with this, but we can't move too quickly through the biblical text here. So, what I want to just, just step back and let's think about this now. We've looked at the text We've looked at Isaiah. We've seen a pattern starting to be established. We see the servant of the Lord starting to appear. We see that things are messed up. When enemies press in, when things look dire, God's word in Isaiah says that his chosen servant will come forth to bring a message of hope. So, Isaiah sets up the pattern. Isaiah sets up the pattern. Part two. Jesus perfects the pattern of the servant of the Lord. We're going to flip all the way now to the New Testament, to John chapter 13. And in this this text, we're going to dwell on this for a number of minutes here, because what we're going to see is as Isaiah sets up the pattern of the servant, of this representative, of this perfect chosen one who embodies what Israel should have been, we see that Jesus perfects that pattern. So John chapter 13, I'm going to read a few of the verses at the beginning of this chapter, and we're going to dive into this. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is an amazing picture. It's an amazing story because in this time period, we've jumped now. Remember, Isaiah was about 740 B.C. We've jumped all the way to the first century A.D. And in this time period, people wore sandals all the time. I mean, I don't know if you like wearing sandals. I really do. But when you're walking around in Albany or Berkeley with sandals, your feet 
I don't know, they get sort of dirty, but not that dirty, really. I mean, it's not that bad. But in Jesus' day, when you're walking around on dirt all day long and you're wearing sandals, your feet get completely filthy, absolutely gross. And they didn't have quite the hygiene tactics that we have today. So you can imagine doing a foot washing is probably not an enjoyable task. Actually, in this day, in Jesus' day, doing foot washing was actually one of the lowest tasks you could do. It was the task for a slave or a servant. So as we, when we jump into this story, Jesus is sitting down to dinner in the house with his disciples. Here is the master, the teacher, rabbi. And we know God's son about to step to the cross to die. And here he is, and he says, I could do that. Takes off his outer garment. They wear a couple different garments. They have different layers of their tunics. When you take off your outer garment and just have the inner one on and you tie a towel around your waist, that's literally the dress, the attire of a slave. So here is Jesus, literally taking on the position of a servant. And he bends down with the water basin and he scrubs the dirty, disgusting feet of his disciples. Remember our pattern in Isaiah. We'd already seen an allusion to this. We'd already seen that this is the nature of the servant. The servant is gentle. The servant is lowly. The servant accomplishes God's task of salvation by stooping down. That's the key. That's where Jesus brings the picture of Isaiah, the pattern of Isaiah, and just magnifies it and to its climax. And he meets the perfection of the servant of the Lord. See, Jesus is stepping into that role. He's walking the path of the servant that we saw in Isaiah. There's a couple other places in the New Testament where Jesus quotes from Isaiah. And he says, I am the servant. We could go through and read some of those, but it's basically a quotation of what we read in Isaiah 42. But he specifically steps into that role. See, Jesus is God's true and perfect servant that Israel, God's people, never was. So let's continue on with our text. We're going to move, John 13, we're going to move down to verse 12. Let's look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, which is the head of the table, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just I have done to you. Let's pause there again. See, I'm convinced without the basin, without the basin and towel that Jesus uses, as I say this kind of metaphorically, but as without the basin, I don't think that there would be a cross. Without Jesus' position as a servant, as he came lowly, and simple. In the pattern of Isaiah, he stood opposed to the powers that be. He stood opposed to the oppression that was there with the Roman Empire that was oppressing God's people. He also stood opposed to 
the religious elite that thought that they could work their way to God and to God's favor. He took the position of a servant, and that, as he walked, as the servant led to the cross. I had a, a number of years ago, I had learned, I learned sort of the hard way on what it looks like to take the position of a servant. Or, and, and don't think that I have it all figured out. This is just one example on my struggle. Um, I, I, was, I was working at a church a number of years ago down in the South Bay, and I was working with a college ministry, and I had, uh, this was a volunteer internship, I was going to school, and there was a position open part-time at the church, and I thought, okay, this is great, I need a little bit of money, let's do this part-time position. Well, the part-time position happened to be janitor. So I took this part-time job, I started showing up every day, and I was cleaning up all the trash from Sunday, and I was scrubbing all the toilets, and I was doing all this stuff, and I, after a few weeks of this, I kind of had this realization that here I am, I think I am the coolest guy in the college group, and here I am during the week cleaning up all the trash and scrubbing the toilets of the people that I serve. And I thought to myself, how can I serve these people and minister to them and bring the gospel to them on a weekly basis if I'm not willing to pick up their trash and scrub the toilets. My attitude was proud. And st- sitting there literally on my knees in the bathroom helped me to realize what it means to serve people that I want them, that I want to hear the gospel, that I want to encounter Jesus Christ. I don't do that perfectly, obviously, but this is This is the pattern, the picture in my mind of taking the role of the lowly servant. So, as we now step into where we are today, we live out the pattern of the servant of the Lord. We live out the pattern. Isaiah sets up the pattern. Jesus perfects it. We live out the pattern of the servant. You see, this is the posture of a disciple. Let's let's read the last verse of this section of our text. So John 13, verse 20. This will kind of wrap up this, this story of Jesus and his disciples. Verse 20, it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let me read that again, but I'll replace some of the pronouns. Truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send, or sorry, excuse me, let me back up. (laughs) Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, Jesus. And whoever receives me, Jesus, receives the one who sent me, God the Father. In other words, when Jesus' representatives go out and people receive them, they are very, they they are receiving Jesus Christ himself and therefore receiving the Father. It's this, it's this chain that's set up. We see that actually failure to know Jesus is failure to know God. That's number one. But we, the, uh, the, the incredible significance that there is between the relationship of the, the Son and the Father, it's the same between the relationship between Jesus' disciples and Jesus. In that we are his representatives to the world. 
We have a significant role in taking up the basin and the towel just as Jesus did to show people what the gospel is, to show them what grace is. I really think we are the people of the basin and the towel. See, being a servant embodies the gospel to the world. The world says money and power and fame are how you get ahead. The gospel says serve others. It says take the position of the servant. And in doing so, people will see the grace offered in Jesus' death and resurrection. They will see the grace of the gospel. They will see the servant of the Lord. When I was in, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I had a mentor of mine, somebody who was volunteering at our church, uh, took on the position, the role of a servant for me and a couple of my friends. And what he did is every week for three years or more, four years, this guy who is an older gentleman who is a volunteer, he would drive around to all me and my friends' houses. He would drive around, pick us up, take us out to dinner, take us to his apartment. We would sit there and pray together. We would read scripture we would, he would teach us how to study the Bible and then teach each other about it. And for years and years and years, he gave up so much of his time and energy when he could have been doing other things. And I'm convinced I would not have known or understood the gospel. I would not have known what it means to follow Christ without him being the example. You see, it's taking on the position, the role of the servant in following Jesus' footsteps brings the gospel to the world. So here's what I think we need to gather from the text as a whole. Since Jesus was the perfect servant, we must walk the path of the servant in order for the world to know Jesus. We need to walk the path. We need to pick up the basin and the towel so that the world can know who Jesus is. Now, how do we do that here in the East Bay? I want you to be encouraged because I think understanding our role as servants is liberating in a way. It's not a heavy load. It's not this burden that the world keeps telling us that that we hear from our culture all the time. We are on this treadmill. The world keeps telling us, go, you need to get ahead. You need to climb the ladder. You need to step on somebody in order to get up in life. You see, Jesus teaches us otherwise. He says, you need to lift others up, not yourself. It helps us to get off of the treadmill of this message that keeps coming and pounding in. You see, God desires us just simply to be servants, to ask the question, how can I show God's love to my neighbors? This is the posture that we need to be in. In the season of where we are in ministry, We have such exciting things going on. It's so easy to say, look at us. Look at how great we are. Or look at what God is doing. We must be something. It's taking the position of a humble servant and saying, we are just representatives of God's grace. We've experienced it, and we want to show it to the rest of the world. We want to show it to our community. So some practical things of how you can do that. I think you can, we can maybe give up some of the power struggles. You might experience this at work. You may experience this at school. 
There's power struggles all the time. It's trying to figure out how you can jockey yourself for the next raise or promotion or anything of that sort. Or how can I get the best project at work? I think maybe changing your question or, or your posture with that is you can maybe figure out how you can help your coworkers, how you can help others. Say, how am I being a representative of God's love in this circumstance rather than trying to figure out how to get ahead? Or maybe you can stop competing with others at school. You can figure out, ask this question, what is God's purpose for putting me here in this class, in this office, in this home? I think we can model to the children that we have influence with, whether it's your own children or whether it's in you know, your nieces or nephews or anything of that sort. You can model to others what it means to be a servant, what it means to take the position of the servant. I think we could, pos- we could probably overwhelm our city with volunteers for community events. We could find any and all opportunities to figure out how can we be an influence for the gospel in our world. But I think the main, the main issue here is that it really ends up being a missionary task. Because what's great about this, this, this pattern, this picture of the servant that's in Scripture, is that bringing the gospel is part of, and is the, the, main, the main way to bring the gospel is taking the posture of the servant. I really believe that the text is, is showing us that Jesus wants us to take the position of the servant so that the world may know him. You see, grace in the gospel needs to be acted out in real life. We act it out by serving others, no matter whether they deserve it or not. That's the key. Jesus did. He, the Lord of the universe, Jesus took the position of the servant. He wrapped the towel around his waist. That's an amazing Amazing example. See, I think the season that we're stepping into, it's great to just take a step back and think, what is our position? What's our posture heading forward? And our posture can be a role of humility. Our posture can be the role of the servant. Seeing grace in action. I mean, that's really what it is. It's seeing grace in action. Because seeing grace in action in our lives is embodied by saying, how do we serve others? How do we lift up others above ourselves, just as Jesus showed us? That's my prayer for us this morning. Um, as, we, as we head out this morning, um, and as we conclude with the rest of our worship service, I really want that to be something that we ponder, something that we think through. It's a, it's a matter of posture. It's a matter of attitude. And I think that taking on the role of the servant is really where we see the grace of God embodied in our lives and in our community. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you humbly. We come before you thanking you for Jesus Christ. Thanking you for the grace that is evident in the gospel. That your son came to earth was a man and died for our sins, that we didn't deserve it. He walked the path of the servant. We praise you and thank you for that, Father. God, we ask that you would help us to to grapple with how we take the posture 
of servanthood. That we can walk the same path that Isaiah did, that Jesus did. That we really see our role in being a disciple as a giving up of ourselves, as an offering of grace to the world. Lord, we do it because you love us. We pray that that would be our goal and our purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.